Stay tuned to SAFM coming up. Life happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Good afternoon to you. It is seven minutes after one o'clock. This is Life Happens on a Wednesday. No, it's a Tuesday. I beg your pardon. It's a Tuesday. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll be together until three and then three to six. Um, John Gerica will be here with Beyond the Headlines. So lots coming up on the show. On a Tuesday, what we usually do is that we look at indigenous knowledge systems. We look at our history. We look at all sorts of things. We left Tuesday, last week Tuesday, with a conversation we were having with Tariq Jenkins who is a chairperson at the Restorative Justice Forum and Community Engagement Officer at the Koi and Sand Center and is uh, part of the African Studies Center as well at UCT. And so we had gone into this massive conversation around the Koi and the Sand and there was a call that came in. It was almost at the very end of our conversation that said, you know, um, it's all good and well. That conversation is wonderful, but I'll tell you what. Um, and in fact, I, I could I could sense a bit of agitation in his voice, which um, which was quite interesting. And he was saying, I'll tell you what, myself and many others, I speak for, for many people in the Cape, um, we're actually not interested in the history. What we want is land. What we want is land, have that conversation. And so we, we then decided that we will pick up on that conversation and then expand on that because we, we do acknowledge land is very, very important. Land is very, very key to this conversation. We had just started the conversation but that was not to say we were not going to go into the land issue so Tariq joins us now again on the line Tariq thank you so much for coming back and, and expanding on this conversation it's a pleasure and thank you very much for having me so let's kick off you know where we had left it last week around the issue of land um, <clears throat> just to um, contextualize again uh, what the the caller had identified the, the caller um, basically, you know, stated that um, he felt that he was representing about 80% mm. of a particular community in the Western Cape and felt that, um, uh, and he, he mentioned the word, the, the term colored. So mm. he, he felt that the, this community that he was representing in the, in the Western Cape was not interested in the history of the Khoi Khoi song, nor the language, um, and also said that in you know in his um, contribution um, that um, you know the Khoi and Sun were wiped out a long time ago, mm. and that we we're not sure even if this history that we're talking about is um, is correct, mm. um, and um, uh, basically dismissed that. Um, by saying that the major question in terms of uh, the, the group that uh, he allegedly represents was we want to learn, we want to know about the land and how we can get land. Hmm. I, I found his contribution to be extremely valuable because I think it definitely gives us a sense of some of the more complex questions that, um, you know, that we are facing in as far as um, cultural, linguistic uh, restoration and also questions around how um, segments of our society through time have been subjected to particular kind of educational tropes that reflect um, ways of how we interact to one another, um, ideas of, of, of how we view, um, uh, you know, uh, 
important aspects of our of our history, language, and 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 culture. So, I think uh, what 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 was uh, key for me in that is that there's nothing, um, in a sense, that uh, that he said which is not, um, in a way, uh, reflecting of of something that we truly have to uh, talk about, which is the land question. Hmm. But I think what we also have to talk about is how is it that um, the gentleman's framing, for example, of the dialogue um, occurred in such a way mm. where there was a denial of history. Mm. There was a complete um, desecration of the existence of the Khoi Khoi and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, the Khoi and San, uh, not only exist, but um, have an, an, an incredibly strong um, footprint in terms of identity across Southern Africa. And to what extent, especially within the community around whom he was speaking uh, uh, to, um, the so-called colored communities in the Western Cape, um, how do we locate those identities within, you know, within mm-hmm. the overall framing mm-hmm. of, of, of a history of, uh, you know, of, of encounter with colonial powers that would have started on 1st of March 1510 and then in 1659 with the frontier wars on the banks of the Nisbet River against the Dutch engineer company and the Freeburgers. And, um, and, and how do we begin to locate the, the massacre, genocide, forced location, um, and stripping away of language and identities of indigenous people that were the first inhabitants of, of, of that space, um, and whose sense of diversity um, form such an important and indelible part of, of um, the descendants of, you know, within the, the broader definition of, of the so-called colored in the context of, of, of the Western Cape and indeed South Africa. What, what, can I pause you there? Because I want you to maybe go go into depth into that point before we even move into the land issue, because I think there is something to be said about the contestation of identity. And this comes up all the time. So there, there really definitely is a, two, you know, a couple of different uh, schools of thought around this, this colored identity, so-called colored identity, and the contestation for those who say, no, but I'm not Khoi, I am colored. And then I want to bring in perhaps maybe even the plight of a group of Khoi who are stationed at the Union Building right now, who've been there, I think they've been camping for almost two years now, who are calling for government to completely scrap the term colored, calling it derogative and and, and so on. So can we go into that? Because we need to acknowledge the fact that there is this contestation. There certainly is a contestation, and from from the uh, trial restorative justice forum, I mean, we've debated the and we continue to debate the issue of identity, and especially the the, the, the so-called coloured term. Mm. Um, I think the, what what is very clear is that what we have to move away from are the apartheid-driven um, labels of identity. That that is something that I think. Um, we feel, uh, and uh, it's something that is broadly based in terms of um, in terms of agreement. Um, the the contestation on the term coloured itself, um, you know, if one looks at the historical context of how that term came about in the early 1900s by a British colonial piece of administration, that basically subsumed entire groups about six entire court groups that were endemic to the Western Cape, including 
other groups that have individual and unique, authentic mm. cultural and historical um, identities from the Java, Goa, Madagascar, and you know, and so on, and and placed it under one under one grouping of colored, and in so doing, um, limited and expanded uh, the the depth of 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 these of these of these diversities, um, and you know, one, one can also explore. What was the reason for this? And, mm-hmm. and I think, by and large, the colonial divide and conquer mechanism, which has not been, which has been deployed all over the world by various colonial administrations, is something that um, you know we we would find as um, as, as I think a a, a good um, sort of also starting point around you know how did we emerge, uh, you know, and how do we come to this term? But even before that, you know, um, if we talk about diversity and uh, and within the context of, of, of mixed race. What is interesting, if you take uh, a look at certain Khoi identity groups or Khoi indigenous groups, um, where already within their names is an acknowledgement of diversity. Mm. If you take um, you know, um, some of the peninsular uh, groups within the context of the Western Cape, translated from the Khoi Khoi what would mean of mixed blood, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so there was already an acknowledgement um, of of mixedness, and in this case, it would have been an, a a, um, uh, a period of of of, of almost two hundred years of and this is before Jan van Riebeck. Yes. Of 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 diverse exchanges with uh, with ships from around the world, oh. where there was you know there was a, a trading port and interface, uh, an exchange of indigenous knowledge systems mm-hmm. of. Um, of that kind of thing. So even before Jan van Riebeck came along, mm-hmm. there was there was diversity that was happening, there was intermingling that was mm. happening there. But at that point, that intermingling was not given a particular term mm-hmm. that delimited um, its, its identity from its own Africanness mm-hmm. and also its openness mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. Tariq, so, do we, just mm-hmm. sorry, so that you can expand a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. That identity, as you said, would it have leaned towards the identity of the parent that was stationed here? Yes. So, um, if, if you take a look at the term, you know, uh, for example, if you take a look at the term Gorinaikwa, it mm-hmm. means of mixed blood. Okay. Um, and it also, uh, it, within that term, it, it shows that there was, uh, you know, already been an intermingling and an acceptance mm-hmm. of of people who were, who were coming to to the areas who were not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, um, of mm-hmm. of you know of of, of the peninsula, mm-hmm. um, but I think just just moving back to to where we are right now, um, you know the the, the so called we 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 term it a so called colored term. It's, we consider it a derogatory term. However, um, you know, we also it's. We also want people to fall into the trap of essentializing things. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think um, anyone should be um, removed of their agency to decide mm. the identities around which they would want to align themselves. Mm. So, for example, you know, I think uh, having the option instead of filling out talent, mm-hmm. one could say Koe mm-hmm. and San identified, mm-hmm. or one one could look at. Um, those groups that have been so written out of history, mm. where where someone makes uh, an act of cultural agency in as far as wanting to, uh, you know, to to embody a sense of 
of, of, of belonging and ancestry as far as how, how they would feel. Mm-hmm. But there are many people who feel quite fine with the term colored mm-hmm. and have lived in, in, mm-hmm. in, in families for generations mm-hmm. where, where that is where that is the accepted term. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and, and so forth but across the spectrum of, of how identities are being, are being defined often in the tick boxes that we have to tick. But I think ultimately it is how we look at ourselves in the context of being African, which yeah. is very important. And when these identities begin to remove our Africanness, we, you know, um, I think the argument there is that we fall into the trope of, of ticking identities that um, would, 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 would remove that, that, um, uh, that sense of, of being part of the continent, being part of, of, of Africa, which in, in, in some ways was a similar strategy that was mm-hmm. used within the context of divide and conquer um, and the and the expansion of 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 of, of, of traditional identities done uh, you know during during colonial administration. Mm-hmm. Tariq Jenkins is the chairperson of the Clara uh, Restorative Justice Forum and Community Engagement Officer at the Coen Sand Centre, and as part of the African Studies Centre at UCT, we're discussing the we, this is an indigenous, indigenous knowledge systems feature, and our focus today is the Coen the Sand, and we really are delving deep now into other conversations and this particular conversation was sparked by a call that came in last week. We'll see if we can get an, an audio clip of that and play it back to you, but we'll otherwise reframe it for you. And really this person was saying, you know, forget about what we're saying. Can we focus on the land? And they are quite comfortable in knowing that they're coloured, not necessarily koi or sand. And we'll expand on that conversation. And you can also be a part of this conversation. 011-714-2006 please. Or you can send us a WhatsApp on 614 107. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Julie Stoffelt from George in the Western Cape. I would like to express that there's a lot of uh, descendants uh, from the Aboriginal Khoisan uh, that are landless. Because of the discrimination of the DA and the ANC, we are jobless. Um, so this is a this is a genocide, uh, a silent genocide against our people. And unless we restore the land, our people were through apartheid. Our land was taken from us. Um, being a descendant also of a slave. My people were became free slaves and then their land in a prominent area in town was taken from them again. So this is painful stuff. So we can't ignore what has happened to our people. Um, so please, uh, it's, it's good that our people have land so we can live. All right, our conversation is with Tariq Jenkins, who is a chairperson of the Clara um, Restorative Justice Forum and Community Engagement Office of the Koi and the Sand Centre, as well as the African Studies Centre in UCT. Tariq, I don't know if you were if you were able to hear that voice note that came through, but one of the things that I want you to pick up on, Tariq, is just the sheer the tone that's coming through from the voice note that came in last week and even this particular one the sense of injustice that you get to hear 
Um, and this comes through often, in fact, in this show, on this show, when we speak to people around their heritage, particularly the Koi and the San, the sense of injustice, absolute pain of a people who feel completely ignored, erased in many ways as well, and whose, whose heritage has just never been honored and there has just never been restorative justice. This is a an, an undeniable uh, part of the history that has to be dealt with um, in full by all South Africans. It is part of a, of, of, of a shared history of colonial conquest, but importantly, of one where the acknowledgement of this pain has not had its um, its true its true course. We, we, we have not experienced a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that even in any, by any means would um, have started to address um, where, where uh, land dispossession actually started in the context of Southern Africa. On the banks of the Lisbeth River in 1657, when the first uh, slaves were imported from by the Dutch East India Company because they could not um, conquer the Khoikhoi, here we, we saw and we have a definitive um, place around where agricultural land was stolen for the first time, where the riverine systems were locked on either side to stop animals from accessing it. And then eventually we see, a, um, you know, over time, the sort of industrial uh, a conquest and, and smashing of not just the um, environmental aspects um, around, um, around these areas, but also the... The fact that from a spiritual linguistic uh, perspective, um, there was a massive dislocation in terms of the symbiotic relationship that the Koiko has and Sang had with, with the animals, the riverine system and the cosmos. And by, um, uh, you know, through a combination of, of, of religious and spiritual displacement, physical displacement, and even the extinction and extirpation of sacred animals like the blue buck, the quaha, um, the cape lion, um, these were uh, spiritual uh, uh, entities whose removal from the landscape permanently also meant a, a, a particular removal of connectivity on a, on a very deep spiritual and profound level. Plus, you know, we can talk about how the Koiko and San's bodies were used for scientific reasons of, of deep exploitation, where the sale of, of sacred human remains was, um, you know, at a level of... of, of, of of sale where the tusks of elephants and, and rhino horns, um, you know, were of, of the same kind of peculiar interest to anthropologists as as was sacred human remains. And, um, you know, Sarah Bartman would be a, um, a, a very powerful and poignant example of what had happened to that body, which was exhibited, exploited, then in the end, um, tragically uh, sort of cut up and... and and, um, and exploited in the French Musée de l'Homme, um, you know, until until the 1970s. Um, and um, and so the communities that we deal with, uh, and and the question of land and disposition, is, is incredibly painful. And I think what we've also located is how the pain is being articulated in languages that um, are not uh, necessarily ones that um, you know are, are of origin um, and and so having Koiko Hoab for example removed 
because of the encounter for 150 years, its return back to the to the Western Cape also opens up an opportunity for another kind of healing, a reconnection um, of of language, which also reconnects land, heritage, the knowing of of the heritage, the understanding of the history, the under the understanding of the acute, I think, um, episodes of of this enfranchisement and dispossession, also. Um, allows uh, an individual and communities um, a, a a sense of, of of how important the land is, mm-hmm. and and that and that there was connection to that land, and that um, the concept of land is um, is not only one that is viewed from disposition, but the concept of land is one that is also viewed from custodianship. Um, you know, and and uh, it's well, what what the phone call last week. Mm was also very telling of the Verbudian paradigm of mm-hmm. how apartheid thinking has been has been so deeply intertwined and deeply laced mm-hmm. within how our communities speak to one another mm-hmm. and how race mm-hmm. and divisiveness mm-hmm. um, are often so intertwined in as far as how mm-hmm. we look at the issues of restorative justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps, you know, it, one of the one of the, the key things is to begin to, you know, unpack these things, identify uh, where even within our quest for restorative justice, we try not to repeat mm. Um, mm. certain aspects of the past. Um, and, and, and through a historical narrative, for example, we can actually find, mm. find, find unity. There, there's a lot of um, you know, a concern, even within, within revivalism, um, which, uh, you know, which, which, which posits racial groups against one another. Mm. Um, a good example. Tariq, can, can, yeah. I, can I ask that we just pause there for a minute because we've got to go to the headlines and Utile is standing by. I'll come back. Just hold on to that thought. We'll come back to that. And uh, let's just take a quick break. We'll be back with more. And listen, you can still also call in on 011-714-2006. Your take on this conversation, really important conversation. Utile Saku is standing by with the headlines at one thirty. Life Happens, weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m. so much for staying with us. I'm in conversation with Tariq Jenkins, who is the chairperson of the Clara uh, Restorative Justice Forum and Community Engagement Officer at the Coen Sand Center based at UCT's uh, African Studies Center as well. And we, we've really touched on many, many things, but um, one of which has has really dominated this conversation today is the issue of land. Tariq, before, before I, I, I give one of our callers a, a chance, I just want us to Talk about what you have highlighted before we went to the headlines, the issue of dividing a people. And, 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 and I'm going to play even actually for those who were not listening last week, uh, a quick clip of that call that came in last week to illustrate the point that you were trying to, 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 to highlight to all of us. Hi, good afternoon, ma'am. How are you? We're well. Thank you for calling, Matthew. Yes. Um, I appreciate the knowledge that this gentleman has from UCT. And I think um, I think that um, he has got a lot of context within the Khoisan. Mm. However, I think I can speak for 80% of college in the Western Cape, mm-hmm. not in the whole country, mm-hmm. the Western Cape. We are not interested in the UCT center of Khoisan. And why is The reason that? why being is, mm-hmm. what is their intention? We are still late to teach us about history. 
where we come from, where we're not from. Cultural discovery happens from generation within the context of a family. Me, myself, mm-hmm. I did not know. I have no knowledge of the Khoisan, nor am I interested in the Khoisan. And I can tell you there are some people that are interested, but I can tell you majority, the people of the Western Cape, mm-hmm. are not interested in the We are interested in our land. That is what we are interested in. We are not interested with Khoisan and where, we, where, where they come from, whatever. For we know, we don't even know if it's true. Because these people have been slaughtered centuries ago. Centuries ago, from from colonialists, we do not uh, um, focus ourselves with things in the past. We all, we want the future, and we want our land. Give us our land, then we can talk about Khoisan and and what you want. I'm going to pause it there, Tariq, uh, and take Jerome, and you can then add on to the point you were trying to say. Jerome, thank you for calling us. You're calling from Eldorado Park. Yes, uh, thank you, Penelo. Good afternoon to yourself and to the listeners and to your guests there. I, I really appreciate what uh, Tariq is sharing with the rest of South Africa because I think, you know, especially during with, with during this time in South Africa, a lot of black people do not understand um, the history of this country, especially with millennials. You know, they'll come and call us that we're colored, but they don't actually know that Pakistan people were the first uh, warriors against liberation. You know, those Poison people were the first people that fought against the, the settlers in this country. And it's unfortunate that that gentleman called in now and said um, that they are not interested in being called Poison because they don't know their history. You know, it's unfortunate that they do feel that way, and, and I can confirm that that is a sentiment amongst some people. But there are people who know their history, like myself, who've actually gone back and looked at my genealogy and, and came to understand that, yeah, that's where I come from. You understand, mm. but what's what what I what I want to what I want to share is that South Africa should understand that what happened to the Khoisan people and the descendants is an absolute crime against humanity. Because why mm. speaking the Khoisan language during colonial times was a criminal offence, mm. and people and 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 the, the the punishment for that would be the person getting killed mm. by the government of the day. You know, people were forced to not accept that identity by the colonial powers, even before apartheid. You know, the English actually socially engineered that this Khoisan heritage must be wiped off from South Africa because they knew that these are the owners of this land. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I really appreciate and thank you for, for having this, this conversation today. Thank you, um, But uh, the, the ANC government, unfortunately, because we tried to engage with ANC governments, to let them know that they need to deal with with with, with the descendants of the Khoi and Sun in this country fairly, which is not happening currently because they're looking at this position only from 1913 up to today, you know, mm. during apartheid. Mm. And and that excludes this position that happened before then. Uh, I mean, you find rock painting of the Khoi and the Sun as far as Lampopo and Mpumalanga. Mm. And, 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 you know, during when the, in the 80s when I grew up, Black people used to refer to colored people as Amabusman in the 80s. Today, in South Africa, those same black people will not say you Amabusman because they know that they're acknowledging your heritage and they're acknowledging that in a part of Africa, today it's convenient to say that you people are colored, you don't belong here, uh, you are not part of South Africa or Africa for that matter. And that's the one that's found now that spoke about we want the land. Mm. You cannot claim the land. I hope he's listening. You cannot claim 
a part of Africa, if you are not African, I mean that's the that's the the the, the, the beginning of 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 land claims or giving land back to 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 to, to people that were dispossessed. So there's a there's a there's a there's a total lack of knowledge in terms of for for people from the Western Cape, especially where they don't understand that you can say we want the land, but you need to prove that you are from Africa. When people will tell you that I'm a cousin and I've got a grandfather in Scotland, but or in Malaysia, and and that disqualifies you from saying that you're someone from Africa and a part of Africa belongs to you. <laughs> you understand? So, so I... it's unfortunate, but but. But I mean, colored people, quite descendants, quite descendants can be found can be found in the colored community. Yeah. I mean, that was confirmed by the United Nations. Yeah. But um, um, uh, during the 80s, during apartheid, it was a shame to be called a bushman. That is why people latched onto the colored identity mm-hmm. because why the bushman with the felikis and and the, the, the ugly features, what not ugly features, but the kind of features that I had in the year. I also have uh, African here, indigenous here. Uh, you know, but during the 80s, colored people were ashamed to be called Bushmen because well, it was more fashionable to be associated with being colored. Mm. But I mean, you know, that was social engineering being done by the white Afrikaners and the colonialists. Mm. They engineered us to be ashamed of who we are. Mm. But do you now... Um, negatively uh, impact those people because why they were socially engineered to think a certain way. Do we now punish those people again because they don't understand who they are? You know, um, I mean, you know, the, the white people have manipulated all Africans and all Africans should now start to work together to, to see that we can, so that we can find solutions for each other. Mm-hmm. But what's happening currently with the ANC government is, is that they're ignoring these Kwanzaa groupings that are coming up and, and asking for restorative justice, which Thank is really you. sad at this point in time. Appreciate your call, Jerome, there in Eldorado yeah. Park. Tariq, you've you've heard a lot. Um, your comments. Well, firstly, you know, th- thank you for replaying that clip. It does recontextualize this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and also thank you to, to the previous caller for, you know, for, for his contribution. There were a number of things there that he, he touched upon, which perhaps I could elaborate further. Um, but speaking of Kwekokowab, for example, was punished by the colonial authorities by the pulling out of the front teeth. Now, there's a reason why I would like to maybe just spend a minute on this, because, for example, there's an urban myth that persists in the Western Cape, that the gap, the, the, the gap that one would find, um, you know, with community members across, you know, um, across the Western Cape is, is something that is, 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 is derived within the context of, 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 of culture and, and, and it is a decision of one's expression in terms of, um, you know, in terms of, 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 of cultural affinity and agency. But, and often the, the, the gap has also got other sexual connotations and things like that that come, that come with it. But beneath that underpins a very tragic history mm-hmm. Of a rule that um, that enabled the extraction of the front teeth in order to delimit the kicks, mm. and mm. and so you know sure. uh, when we reintegrated Kokohova back, um, you know, in the first inaugural course at at, at UCT, sure. this was something that was also taught with the relearning of the language. Gosh, it wasn't Tariq, the, I it wasn't know about that. relearning language, but also understanding um, how the language had been spoken at that time. 
um, you know, over history was also was also punished in, in very uh, draconian terms. I think that um, another aspect that he brought up also really speaks to, uh, you know, on the ongoing challenge of uh, of the Koiko and San communities and descendants of the Koiko and San, and where this is posited within a range of identities. Mm. Um, and this is the, the paradox and complexity of the, the Khoikhoi and, and, and San, not only within the context, context of the Western Cape, mm-hmm. but nationally, in that it, is, it has threads of extraordinary diversities, mm. from the slaves who were brought down from the Java, Madagascar, Angola, mm-hmm. um, um, from, from Southeast Asia, etc., to local groups, local endemic traditional groups, which would include the Amakosa, which would include um, the Abatembo, the Pondomisa, who are part of the etchings and part of of of, of, of various Koiko and San groupings. And so this essentialist notion that, um, you know, Koiko and San is is something that is, is, is African, it isn't. Hmm. Um, it's something that we also have to interrogate because there are two interesting things that, uh, that often clash. You've got that stereotype of the gods must be crazy of, of that documentary or of, of that film that was shot where, you know, there, there's a depiction of, um, of, 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 a, you know, of, of, a, of, a, of a man who's, who's clad in, uh, in loinskin and who runs around mm. uh, sort of kicking and uh, is basically the framing of that film is, is derogatory and, and, and quite humiliating and so on. Mm. Um, and um, and so, in some people's minds, that becomes then the expectation mm. of how one defines an authentic representation of of, of the Koiko. Yeah. Let's take a, a, a Julie's been waiting for a while to comment, okay. and uh, let me just take Julie before we continue. Julie, you're calling from George. Good afternoon. Um, good afternoon, ma'am. Um, um, I am a descendant from the Koi, mm. um, but also from slave and also uh, some European. Mm. But um, that doesn't matter as long as most of my features present Mm -hmm. koi, my hair also, Mm -hmm. my skin. Mm. So I I recently claimed my koi heritage Mm. and it has opened me in in more ways than what I mean my spirit all opened mm-hmm. more in, in a way before I claimed this I I was searching for for all this for all the stuff like identity mm. in all the wrong places mm. um, so in a way I believe our people because there's so much pain mm. in our communities mm. I've seen it mm. um, like how many years ago was I in, in Europe? Um, was it 12 years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 12 years ago I was in Europe. Um, um, and then I came back to Cape Town to finish my studies at UWC. Mm-hmm. And I see now our people, you know, the the life they were living was not according to what I saw in Europe, you know, understand. Mm. Um, and um, I believe our people need healing. Mm. And and part of the healing is 
restoring the land. There's a lot of other facets also that need healing, mm. like the gentleman uh, presenter says it. Mm. And yeah. Thank you. Julie, thank you. Thanks for your account. They're calling us from George Francis. You at Port St. John's. Good afternoon. Yes, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for calling, Francis. Good. Uh, I might find this uh, uh, an interesting and important issue to talk about. Core and Sun people, these people, well, now people are talking of Western Cape and these other areas. These people were all over Southern Africa. These are the only people who were in Southern Africa, from how I read, how I see things. And uh, if you look at them, they are not colored, to say. These people were born like that, with their own uh, complex, uh, being uh, brownish and whatever. But they were driven away from, as far as Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, in uh, Mozambique. Anyway, they were driven out up to Namibia, to the desert, and they were not given the chance to stay in this country. These people are owners of Southern Africa. Thank you for that. Francis A. in Port St. John's. Life happens with Pinelo Modine. Hi, Pinelo, Piron and Alex. I think the whole conversation still revolves around the issue of land. Eh? So until such time that uh, the government has willpower to be able to address the land question, we'll always talk about it and nothing will really happen. So we need uh, some sort of political will from the government to ensure that uh, this uh, question is really addressed and uh, everybody is happy and moving forward in one piece. Thank you. Hi, Pamela. Good afternoon. My name is uh, Brandon and... Uh, I'm actually very interested in learning more about my history and the history of uh, the Khoi and colored people in particular. And uh, I'm not sure why the other callers are saying that they have no interest in learning more about their history. But as me personally, I am very much interested in knowing more about my heritage. Thank you. Good afternoon, Pamelo. Pamelo, I'm still laughing here because one of your callers said he is not interested in the Khoisan, but interested in the, he's interested on land. How could he say something like that? You cannot divorce people who are of importance in that particular environment and then claiming the land. It's like in our days of struggle you would not say you divorce the blacks from a wanting your liberation thanks Pamela. this is vivian lovo from katleho thanks Tariq, as as a person who sits as a chairperson of the clara restorative justice forum let's address the land issue i mean we're not going to walk away from the land issue where are we with the land issue from from the kind of, of space that you operate in and your engagements with government so, and this is a, as you understand, this is a very complex issue. Mm. It's also um, an issue that needs to be located. And the one gentleman spoke about um, the first colonial wars. Mm-hmm. He spoke about how the Khoi Khoi and Sun defended this country mm. from the first um, uh, sort of intended colonial um, 
attrition on the 1st of March 1510, where the Khoikhoinsan defended um, this country from being ostensibly a Portuguese slave colony when they defeated the first viceroy of the Portuguese India, um, Francisco de Almeida. And it was 80 years after that, that, um, you know, <coughs> for 80 years, the Portuguese that didn't, didn't return. And then from from 1652, between 1652 and 1657, uh, we then see the emergence of these malevolent um, sort of actions that ostensibly um, uh, acquired unethically land um, on the banks of the Lisbeck River <coughs> from the mouth of the Camisa onwards. And so when you talk about land, we need to also locate a definitive ground zero precinct of where it all began. And this is very important because by doing so, we are able to trace the trajectory mm-hmm. of where pockets of land have been dispossessed throughout the country and throughout Southern Africa. Yes. And then by, by, by locating a definitive marker of saying this is where it began, mm-hmm. then we begin a process of restorative justice because mm-hmm. I think... Um, at the moment, which was well said, I think, you know, there, there is the issue of land claims, which stops at about 1913. Yeah. But then, by 1913, we already had a range of administrative, um, uh, decisive laws and actions that had ethnicized much and many of the Khoikhoinsan groups by that time. Mm. So, um, so in terms of, of ownership and custodianship, by the time 1913 comes along, you have a very large footprint of the Koiko and San that has literally been removed from the argument of of land position and land claim and custodianship. And, and, and I think, so there are some, uh, I think, deeper uh, questions that, 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 that need to be um, encouraged, you know, yeah. for debate at, at, at government level. Tariq, the... The, the date has been in itself been in contestation for a while. I mean, this is not the mm-hmm. first time that we're hearing that the issue of 1913 is problematic. Right. And I imagine that this has been brought up in, in, in very formal spaces as well. What, what's, you know, are we moving with that? Is, is there movement there? What I can tell you is that, you know, we have a contemporary situation there, for example, similar to Tolobeni, similar to, 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 to other problems where, um, custodianship is being usurped by traditional leaders who then would make autonomous decisions on heritage protected areas. Mm. We would go into private deals with private developers or mining consortia um, and, and so forth, mm. where then we see the, the further endangerment of open space of sacred terrains and so on um, being ostensibly siphoned off through, through, through broker deals from, from, from leadership. And so the question is then, how do we look at um, custodianship within the context of, of traditional based structures mm-hmm. where you'd have one or two individuals or councils making decisions on behalf of entire communities in terms of what's going to happen on that land. Mm-hmm. So the, the land question is not only um, sort of, you know, to, to deal with uh, the question of how does a dispossessed community get their land back, but also how can it be that traditional authorities can make decisions on behalf of, uh, mm. uh, on behalf of communities 
where, where land is being deployed and utilized in way that in ways that go against um, uh, sort of uh, democratic principles of public and participatory equal engagement, mm. as well as uh, principles around heritage and, and and so on and so forth. So where we at at this stage, you know, we have uh, a, a a step within the context of the constitution with the uh, Koi and San Traditional Leaders uh, Leadership Act. So this act um, aims to include the Koi and San within the recognition of, of the leadership across the board within that act. However, um, what is missing from that act are, are issues that really address gender, are issues that mm-hmm. address uh, the subjects. Mm-hmm. And so one has to ask South Africans then, you know, um, why would someone engage in a notion of traditionalism if mm-hmm. they're going to move into a, a set of legal um, parameters mm-hmm. that may, in effect, reduce mm-hmm. their, their access to human rights, mm-hmm. reduce their access to equality, mm-hmm. and, and have to be subjected to, 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 to forms of authority that may, in turn, revert from them the very aspirations mm-hmm. that they have deep at heart in terms of revivalism, in terms of equality, and in terms of access to these resources that have been taken through and, um, and in, in, in order to try and address this issue of transgenerational trauma. What so, I think needs to happen, uh, Tariq, is we, we need a, a bigger voice um, that will lobby for exactly what you're saying. So it is fantastic that people like yourselves are lobbying, but it's it's also quite sad that you are lobbying with a, a very small voice where there's still this contestation about the very essence of what it is that you're saying in the first place, because that's not going to take this conversation very far. Um, I wonder to what, you know, to what extent are we trying to get, number one, one voice, and it may not necessarily be one, but more of a bigger collective to push these conversations forward. Hmm. One of the one of the major um, opportunities, and this and, and this has been obstacles in the past, is the divisiveness mm. of the various core and, and sound formations yeah. that exist around the country, and that divisiveness doesn't come by coincidence. Yeah, as was mentioned before. Yeah. It is because of the grouping that has been yeah. in the encountering of colonial conquest. This is the oldest, yeah. and so and so the dismantling and the kinds of, of complexities around divisiveness definitely feature. Mm. But we have an opportunity um, to unite around our heritage, mm. to unite around our environmental sense, and to right unite around the issue of land heritage recognition. Um, these these are singular issues that I think. Um, uh, and they are being mobilized mm. you know, uh, very well. Mm. I think uh, uh, it certainly will provide that kind of space that you're talking about mm. um, of, of, of a stronger voice, a stronger collective voice, yeah. united voice, um, for, for, for a deeper sense of, of who we are, mm. um, but also in, in that the question of the Koi Koen as Thabo Mbeki said in his, in his speech, I am an African. He mentioned the Khoi Khoinsan. He also mentioned the Malay slaves that mm. the previous caller made. Mm. And the African Renaissance will always remain in its nascent stage until the Khoi Khoinsan has been placed back into the center of the African discussion in our country. We're going to I think that is, that, is, that, that, that is really important.
and perhaps the that would be a key Great. consideration. I really appreciate your time, Tariq Jenkins, Chairperson of the Clara Restorative Justice Forum and Community Engagement Officer at the Coin in the Sand Centre, uh, which forms part of the African Studies Centre at UCT. That will be a part of a conversation that will be podcast and available on our social media platforms. Just gone two o'clock. Let's go to Uzi Lesaku for the latest in SABC News.